Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, After this, It happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. This means that Absalom didn't want the chariots for speed, but to make an impressive possession. This was Absalom the politician, sensing what people wanted and knowing how to give them the image of it. Absalom began to stir up dissatisfaction with David's government and campaigned against David by promising to provide justice that David supposedly denied the people. As we can see, the consequences of David's sin within his family continues. Now here's Pastor Rob. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 15 this evening. We're going to look at chapter 15, but I want to quickly just recap the, when we were last together, last Thursday evening, we looked at uh, chapters 13 and 14, and these two chapters, 13 and 14, were very difficult uh, to, to hear. Certainly this is a topic that is very difficult to even consider, uh, but nonetheless it is there. In, in the Word of God, and, and let me just recap it for you. You recall in chapter 13 that... Amnon, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> who was David's firstborn, he had a half-sister whose name was Tamar, and she was a very attractive young lady, and uh, Am- Amnon was so infatuated with her, and uh, the Bible says that he loved her, but I think he lusted for her. This, this is so interesting, he, he had such a, a lust and a desire for her that he began to lose weight. And when you get to the point where you're losing weight over somebody, you got some real things to deal with. <laughs> and so he was completely out of control with his passions and desires, and he wanted her so bad he'd do anything to get her. And so finally his cousin Jonadab uh, told him, says, you know, look, let's hatch this plan, and here's what you do. And so he, he told him this plan, and the plan was to feign that he was sick and that he would go into his house, and as the firstborn of King David, he would have attendants. He would have all these things, and Jonadab says, you know, fake like you're really sick, and your father will send, you know, and ask for Tamar to come to make you cakes to eat, and then, and so David found out that his firstborn son, Amnon, was sick, and so he tells Tamar, his half-sister, who was born from another 
wife, because David had six wives and six uh, um, brothers from different wives in Hebron when he ruled there for six and a half years. And so Tamar goes, and she does exactly that. And in the process of her cooking cakes for him and him desiring her to feed him the cakes, he, took, he asked all of his attendants to leave, which is a red flag, by the way. If you're a young lady here tonight and there's other people in the room and you got some guy hitting on you and you realize that he wants everybody away except for you, you might want to leave as well. But anyway, um, so she does come and she does, does those things and Amnon forces her and lays with her against her will, rapes her. And, and then after that, if that couldn't be any worse, he, he, he thrusts her out of his house in broad daylight making it look like he has refused her or that she has done something against him, the firstborn son, so he casts her out, making her look even worse now, making her look like it was her fault that she was castigated. And, and she was totally devastated. Her half-brother, or I'm sorry, her real brother, Absalom, because Absalom and Tamar were, were full uh, brother and sister from the same mother, and David, of course, so Absalom says, you know, don't let this concern you. You know, kind of keep quiet about it. And, and so she does. She's obedient. And, um, and then David hears about it, and then he gets angry, but he does precisely nothing about it. And, and then we find out um, that Absalom, he finds out about this after two full years, he he invites his brother to a, uh, a feast, and he ultimately kills him. He kills him, and then he flees to Jeshur, which is an area located east of the Sea of Galilee, up northeast of the Sea of Galilee, quite a bit, probably around 70 miles away from Jerusalem. And so he flees there to Jeshur, and we'll look at that again, why he did that. Why did he go there? That's a good question, and we'll answer that. And we did last week, if you remember, but we'll talk about it again. So he goes there. And then Joab tries to get David to forgive his son and to bring him back into Jerusalem. He hatches another plan with another woman to come in before the king and to give him a, a false story, a false narrative, in order to get uh, to retrieve Absalom from Jeshur. And finally it does work. Absalom was in Jeshur for about three years, the Bible tells us. And so finally he comes back to Jerusalem. He's there for two entire years in Jerusalem where his father is, but his father doesn't make face-to-face contact with him at all. He's still holding a grudge against his son for killing his firstborn son. And so David's life is falling apart. And why is it falling apart? Because of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And this is a, an event that we know very well. But God told David that these things would occur, and that, in fact, God had made a prophecy uh, against David because of these things that he, had, that he had done. In fact, Nathan came to David after this sin issue with David, or with, with uh, Bathsheba, and, and then the killing of Uriah, her husband. And this is what the Lord said to him. He says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why then have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And here is the, fight. Here is the blow, the hammer blow. The consequence of David's sin, God lays it out for him. He says, now therefore, because you've done these things, the sword shall never depart your house. Because you despise me, notice that when we sin, we may sin against somebody else, but ultimately it's an affront against God initially because we're violating his commandments, right? So notice that. He didn't say it was an affront to, uh, against Bathsheba and Uriah. Certainly it was, but God lists it in importance And he's the most important. Then people. So he says, you have despised me by doing these things. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up not only that, but I will raise up adversity against you from within your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And so these these consequences that God had laid out for David that are coming his way have already begun. Because number one, Amnon is dead. Absalom, he, he went into exile for three years to Jeshur up in the northern part of Israel. And we're going to see that as we go along here, we're going to see that Absalom himself is going to get into a lot of trouble. He's going to seek to overthrow his dad's throne. David's throne. He's going to sleep with his concubines, which in that it was like his harem, if you will. And God already prophesied that these things were going to happen. And not only that, we're going to find out later on down the road, spoiler alert, that Absalom is also going to be killed by none other than David's nephew, Joab, the commander of his own army, a relative of Absalom. And Joab would be the one to ultimately kill him. And so the sword is going every which way. All these consequences are coming to pass. And, and, and you see, God loves us enough to not allow us to continue in our sin. And, you know, I mean, he forgives us when we ask him for forgiveness, but there are still consequences. And that's one of the things about these chapters that we're going to look at that are so important to remember is that David was forgiven. Remember, after he had... After um, God had told him these things, David really cracked like an egg. He really repented. His heart was broken. He was changed man forever after this. But, but God did say, but you've brought great occasion against the enemies of God. And because you've done these things, I have to allow these things to happen, David, in your life. You're forgiven, and, and I love you, and our relationship is restored, but you've got to understand there's a consequence for sin. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23? That the wages of sin is what? It's death. And again, it could be death physically, or it could be a death of a relationship, of, of a myriad of types of relationships that we might have. There's always a death as a result of sin. Always a death. There's mistrust, there's betrayal, there is uh, lying, and all kinds of things that happen that breach this trust And so these things happened, and Absalom finally comes back into Jerusalem. He and David finally make eye contact, and there appears to be a, uh, you know, David hugs him and he kisses him. 
I don't know if that constitutes forgiveness. You'll see if you've got a King, depending on what version of Bible you have tonight, if you've got a new King James Version, uh, you may see in, uh, in chapter 14 there, right before verse 25, you may see a heading that says, David forgives Absalom. I don't know if he did or not. Just because you hug and kiss somebody doesn't mean everything's brushed under the water, you know, under the bridge, right? So I don't know about that, but it could be. But notice what it says. After this, it happened that Absalom... We're just going to read down through the first 12 verses, and then we're going to go back. It says, after this, it happened that, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate... And so it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me then I would give him justice if it were only true. But, you know, behold, it's not. But I, I just, if you just come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. No, I'm only kidding. So here is Absalom just feigning the hypocrite. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel And now it came to pass after really four years, you might want to mark that in your Bible, it's really four years, not 40 years, excuse me, that Absalom said to the king after four years, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord, for your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Jeshur in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. And so he arose and went to Hebron. And then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently, notice, and did not know anything. And then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices." And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And so we see a treacherous thing happening here. We see treason, really, in Absalom wanting to overthrow his father. Now, one thing we have to understand about David at this time is David was severely wounded for the sins that he had done. He was paying the price for it. He knew he was forgiven, but nonetheless... He felt like a man who really had no authority any longer. Even though he was still the king in his own family, he just felt like a man that just had no authority, no moral authority in his family. And so David did precisely nothing when he heard about the the issue with Amnon and Tamar. He did nothing. It said he was angry, but he did nothing. We're going to see that even though Absalom killed Amnon, what should David have done? He should have followed the law. He should have brought his son to justice. And however that was meted out, we knew what the law said, but we know that there's also mercy in the law, depending on the person's heart and their attitude. David, after all, deserved death, didn't he? For, for twice, for the murder of Uriah and for sleeping with his wife. But yet God says, David, you're not going to die. 
You're forgiven. And God knew David's heart. David had a heart after God's, even, even though he made these horrible mistakes. And I want to encourage you tonight. You know, you've, you may be sitting here, and you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I've made some really bad mistakes. And I pray that you've taken them and put them all under the blood of Christ. Do you understand the promise that was given to us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you have to believe that, because if you don't, then all your sins are still before you. But I want to encourage you to walk in the newness of that truth, of that promise that God had made. And if you do, happy are you. And you know the feeling when, when you know that you've been forgiven. I remember the day that I was forgiven of all my sins. Someone shared the gospel with me, and I literally, after I left that meeting with that person, I went up to my room, I remember it like it was yesterday, I went up to my apartment in Deland, Florida, on the campus of Stetson University, and I had the apartment to myself, and I went up there, and I, I laid flat on the ground, and I cried convulsively like a baby, and I begged God to forgive me. I said, Lord, I will do anything you want me to do. You just take, you consume me, forgive me for everything I've done, just wash me clean. And I tell you, he got a hold of me that day, and he still got a hold of me. Does he get a hold of you? I hope he does. And let him have everything. Let him have you all, completely. And when you know you're forgiven, boy, that changes your life. All of a sudden, even though you've made mistakes and you've sinned greatly, God has forgiven you. And don't let the consequences that you may still be enduring, don't let those consequences be the thing that reminds you of that sin and just rubs your nose in it. The devil wants to do that to you, and even your own flesh feels like you deserve it. But God says, I have forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. So why then do I plague myself? Why then do you plague yourself by continually going back to the grave clothes of, of, of the things of the old life that God has forgiven you and rumbling through those things going, oh, I wish I had done that. I'm so sorry, God. God's like, why are you crying? Have I not forgiven you years ago for that same thing? Oh, but I don't, I don't feel it. I just don't. And God's going, well, do, do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you, but, well, not really. We have to trust him, folks. Listen, his word is truth. Isn't that what he said? I mean, if it's not the truth, then we might as well just close the book up and let's go have a drink at the nearest bar. Seriously, if, if that is the case, but we know that that is not the case. His word is truth. And when he says what he means, he means what he says. But you have to believe it. And that takes faith. And I pray that God gives us all a greater, more abiding faith to trust him and to trust his word and to be willing to put it all on the line for this, for him. Put it all on the line. Say, I'll put this on the line you can take my life, but I believe everything that's in this book. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? You must. You must believe in him. You must be born again. It's not a, a question of, well, it might be a good idea. No, Jesus, didn't he tell Nicodemus, a very religious man, you must be born again? And he was a religious guy probably put us all to shame by his rituals and his strict adherence to the law. And yet he didn't know God. He needed to be born again. And so, in spite of all these sins, let's go back to verse 1. 
Notice, now it begins to unfold. It's already begun to unfold in David's life, but now we see it. It says, after this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses. And having this kind of entourage was indicative of royalty. This is what people in royalty did. And it was something that only a very important person would do. And by the way, this was the first time that something like this had been done with horses and chariots. It was the very first time. Saul wasn't, and when he was anointed, he didn't come strolling in on horses and chariots and having 50 men run before him. David didn't come to the throne in that capacity, but now Absalom, he comes. Horses and chariots, 50 men running out in front of him. And uh, notice that Absalom provided himself with this entourage. His father didn't give it to him. He assumed and presumed upon the throne. And in the natural, I guess it was right for him to do so in a sense, because we'll look at that. Have you heard of a term primogeniture or primogeniture? Primogeniture is the name. It's really the right of the firstborn. And so really that's what he was acting under, Absalom. He was acting under this idea, hey, I'm the firstborn. Amnon has already died, the second son of David, Daniel, or Chiliab, or Kiliab. He's pronounced a couple different ways. He died when he was young. Now I'm the next guy in line. I am the heir apparent. It's only right for me to do this. So my father hasn't done anything so far, and I'm just going to take the bull by the horns, and I'm going to make it happen. going to make it happen. He's going to do it his way. We're going to see how that works out for him. But remember the warning. Remember how Absalom did this. And remember the warning that God gave to the children of Israel. It's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You might want to just write a note next to your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. And let me just read it to you. Because this was the warning that God gave to Israel before Saul became king. The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people because they asked for a king. We want a king like all the other nations around. We want to be just like everybody else, don't you? You know, isn't it ironic that people today, especially teenagers, they'll say, I want to be, I want to be unique, I want to be an individual, but yet they want to dress and act and listen to the same music like everybody else, but they want to be unique. And I, 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 I'm so glad that they have that heart, but they're just in a place where they're not mature enough to kind of deal with, okay, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with being who I am because they don't even know who they are yet. So I don't blame them for that necessarily, but the people of Israel wanted to be like everybody else. And so the Lord says, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And so according to the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and they've served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice, however. You shall solemnly forewarn them, show them the behavior of the king who will reign over him. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots. And to, be his own, and, and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. Did Saul do that? No. Did David do that? No. Did uh, Absalom do that? Yes. And we're going to see one of his other sons later on in 1 Kings, Adonijah. He's going to do the very same thing. They're going to have men to go before their chariots, and he will appoint captains over his thousands, captains over fifties. And will and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And David, Absalom, and even David's son.
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.